You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and I am on, and you are listening to Healthcare Insight. Now, if you've tuned into this program over the last number of weeks, you know that we have not focused entirely on healthcare. We've been talking about social issues and how this government, this Biden administration, has so changed um, the emphasis on what is allowed to be talked about, what's possible. And certainly free market health care is not one of those things that is on the agenda right now. It's more about social issues. It's about governance. It's about competence in our federal government or incompetence as we see it, but that's being um, uh, shown by the media in many ways as being competent, as accepting and understanding, if you will, a lot more than any other presidency we've ever seen. Uh, making excuses for bad judgments, making excuses uh, and blaming somebody else for things that have gone wrong in this Biden administration, in particular this war ending in Afghanistan in such a horrific way. So I do want to turn a little bit to health care issues and sort of review with what I think is one of the greatest minds, uh, conservative minds out there in the country today, and that's uh, Professor Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, he's one of my favorites, and I hope one of yours. We have uh, used some of his YouTube videos and interviewed and commented on his presentations in the past, and I want to do that again today. And so I want to bring in uh, Dr. Victor David Hansen and have him describe sort of where we are in the United States by looking back and getting his observations on what occurred in 2020 and what's maybe happening today, because I know he is very concerned that the people of the United States, the obligations we have as citizens, the obligations we have to come together as a united people, hoping to reinforce our rights under the Bill of Rights, uh, recognize the value of our Constitution, recognize the uh, benefits of the United States worldwide, because we're losing ourselves by fighting uh, internally and then not having the strength to actually fight externally. So our domestic and our foreign policy seems to be falling apart today, and it seems to be related to this idea of wokeness and what I think he calls lack of citizenship, of taking the responsibility for what we ought to be doing in terms of learning about the issues, studying our politicians, knowing how policy affects our lives, and not just sticking our head in the sand. So let's start this off, and let me ask uh, Professor Hansen to just sort of review in your perspective, what happened in the 2020 time frame, and then we're going to get into some of these other issues. But first, let's get that perspective that you have on what actually happened during the 2020 and the pandemic and related to the issue of how the media uh, presents things in such a untruthful light in many ways. And I think the way to look at it is that we, we experienced a perfect storm. And all of these events lined up in the order that we never expected they could. And the result is we're strangers in a strange land right now. 
The first was we had our first global pandemic in 102 years. Our generation uh, had never had that before. Our parents hadn't. Our grandparents had lived through the so-called Spanish flu of 1918, 1919. Not that COVID-19 was as serious, killed 500,000 Americans. COVID has killed 600, but the population was far smaller. It was about almost about a third. So in today's terms, it would have been a million and a half. But what was interesting about all of these events was the reaction in the media and how they were reported. To this day, we do not know the origins of the COVID-19 virus. We know that it originated in Wuhan, And we know that when we were told that it was impermissible to say there was a connection between the Wuhan lab and the origins of the virus, that is no longer tenable. But it's no longer tenable 12 months later. Had we known that the lab was integral to the genesis of this pathogen, we might have acted differently and saved lives. So that was a double whammy, so to speak. We've never had a national quarantine. This country has faced typhus, typhoid, yellow fever, but every prior lockdown has been local or regional. I know under our federal system that was supposed to be true, but it turned out to be a national lockdown. Remember, it was envisioned as flattening the curve for three weeks, and then it went on and on and on. And at its very inauguration, people were worried. They said if you'd lock down 330 million people, not literally, but in the sense that you were denying people medical access, you would, you would have spikes in what? Family abuse, sexual abuse, substance abuse, suicides, increased rates of cancer and heart-related issues when people couldn't go to the doctors. And now we're starting to see all this, not to mention keeping 50 million children out of school. So there was never any idea in the past that you would attempt that. And yet, when we look at the coverage of it, we were told that masks were of no utility when it began, then they were essential, then you better wear two. Or that herd immunity was 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 uh, percent necessary before we could go back. Never in our right mind did we think that the architects who advised us, the medical establishment, many of whom were compromised. They had routed federal dollars through a nonprofit called Echo Health into the Wuhan lab to do what? Gain of function research. We didn't know any of that. The third thing was we have never had a self-induced recession. By that I mean recessions were organic. They were usually a result of too much printing money, exuberance, and then a correction that went too far through bad policy and could end in depression. But we've never had somebody say, just shut everything down. And the way it was shut down was interesting because the media covered it in very strange fashion. If you, if you in California, if you had sort of a pornographic shop, you could stay open. But a gun store was shut down, a church was shut down, If you sold a mom-and-pop shoe store, you were non-essential, but you bought your shoes at Target that was open to buy shoes. So almost every commodity that was specialized in in small business was shut down, but Walmart and Target and all the big ones and Amazon. And the result of it is that we found the greatest 
uh, equilibrium of a 12-month period in terms of income redistribution we've seen. And yet that was covered as if it was normal. Professor, that's a great overview. And it really pulls together a couple of changes in this country that occurred that maybe we haven't connected those dots before. Like you said, the global pandemic, the media reaction to it was so important and how the media promoted some of the limitations to our freedoms that we would otherwise have said, you can't do that. You can't stop us from running our business. You can't make us stay indoors. But that global pandemic, the media reaction, and the lockdown, the quarantine that became national, we never had before. And then I think connecting it also to the self-induced recession, the fact that we made companies stop offering services, but on a selective basis. But to me, the most important thing out of all those was probably the media reaction, because the media reaction kind of encouraged some of these limitations, some of these restrictions of freedom. And it got into the media reaction around elections as well and how they viewed the Constitution relative to the election. They kind of dismissed it in many ways. So tell us about that election in 2020 that was so impacted by uh, the pandemic and this changing environment and the media's reaction and response to it. Remember, the Constitution specifies that state legislatures shall have the primary responsibility to set rules for national election unless the federal government steps in on rare occasions such as the 18-year-old vote, women's suffrage, etc. But in this case, in March and April, in most of the key swing so-called purple states, people went in and sued in the courts and made administrative and bureaucratic Theats, edicts, diktats. And what did they say? They said that they were going to change the cutoff date for absentee ballots to be made in, mailed in. They could go 10, 12, 15 days later. You were going to have early voting of 20, 30, 40 days. You could have a signature that was improper. It wouldn't matter. The address would not have to be verified. The result of this is 102 million people 63% of the electorate voted not on Election Day. We've never had anything close. The closest was 2016 when we had about 42 million. And the error rate of a non-Election Day ballot went from the usual of about 4% when they were adjudicated down to about 0.4, magnitude of 10. So think of that. We had rendered Election Day a construct So the last debate of our campaign, whoever won that debate, depending on your own vision, it didn't matter because 60 million people had already voted. And it meant that if you were going to have 102 million people mail in or vote early and you're going to change the rate of rejection, you have about 4 million ballots on a normal election year that were counted that would not have been counted. And that could have made a big difference. So you had that, and yet you had that reported, and I can tell you as someone who's a faculty member, if you were to mention nothing about conspiracies, nothing about the Kraken and Sidney Powell, nothing like that. Just what I told you now, you could come up on charges of fomenting uh, disbelief in the integrity of the election, and you would be 
cited or you would be in career jeopardy. So there was no tolerance for, for discussion. Professor, you certainly laid a great foundation in this first segment uh, this week of some of the frustrations that many of us felt during the pandemic shutdowns, why we couldn't do what we normally did. Um, and certainly after the COVID had passed and we all had vaccines, we're still being told that we can't do certain things. And really the media's portrayal of all this um, is kind of disgusting in many ways, especially the idea that we can't question certain things about, for example, as you mentioned, the Wuhan lab, that we can't even question it when there's a lot of data and information uh, a year ago or more that this was happening, but you couldn't talk about it. And also the idea that many of the election laws were changed uh, unconstitutionally, yet no court really wanted to look into it. They wanted to stay away as that separate um, governmental entity. Uh, they didn't want to get into the election process, which many of us felt they really should, especially the Supreme Court, since it was a constitutional issue. So thank you so much for getting this started. And we'll take a quick commercial break. And I want to come back with more of the wisdom of Victor Davis Hanson. Thank you. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Again, we are interviewing today from various segments of YouTube presentation Dr. Victor Davis Hanson, one of the great conservative minds in this country today. And we've been talking about a number of issues that occurred in 2020 and carried over into 2021, if you will. And that is the whole idea of what happened to our social fabric, what happened during the pandemic, the coronavirus uh, shutdowns, the media representation and support of the limitations on our freedoms. And I want to start this segment with giving uh, Dr. Hansen an opportunity to talk about another great event that happened in the early part of 2021, and that is on January 6th, this so-called insurrection uh, on our United States Capitol and the media response to it the way the media supported the Democratic Party's um, narrative, their storyline. So, Dr. Hansen, give us your perspective on that January 6th event. The notorious assault that we all deplored on January 6th, but we were told that it was the greatest attack on the Capitol since Jubal Early's Civil War raid. 
or on the country. I, I thought we almost lost the Pentagon and we had a plane aimed at the Capitol uh, on 9-11. That, was, that didn't exist. Pearl Harbor was an attack on the United States. That, that wasn't mentioned. And then all of the reference of that attack turned out to be not true. Well, Professor, when you say not true, what do you mean? How do you judge uh, at this point in time why that just wasn't true, what was being said and continues to be said about January 6th? There was no hierarchy, no conspiracy. We haven't found a conspiracist that has a map and says, on January 6th, this cadre goes here, this goes here. At 9.05, there was none of that. You saw the guy with the cow horns. He was a buffoon. It was not organized. And then we said, I I looked today when I was preparing an armed insurrection all over the media. Nobody who was arrested had any firearm. I'm not trying to lessen the severity, the iconic idea that you attack a capital, but nonetheless, there was nobody who had or used a firearm. Professor, what about the fact that people actually died uh, during that event? I mean, that was hyped up by the media quite a bit. What's your um, reaction, response, or explanation for that? And then we were told that they five people were killed. Five people died, but they were not killed by Trump supporters. Four of them uh, were Trump supporters, apparently. Three did not die violently. One person, Ashley Babel, a 14-year military veteran, was shot. Maybe you could say she was committing a felony, maybe not. But she was shot and she was unarmed. And in the protocols of 2020, if you shoot an unarmed suspect, that officer's picture is flashed all over the country in a nanosecond. And then we were told by Joe Biden, as recently our president at the summit, that the Trump supporters killed an officer. And we were told that Brian Sicknick, he lied in state in the Capitol as a fallen warrior in defense of freedom, but he didn't die violently. He died a day later from a stroke. So all of these things together, we might have survived any one of them, but plague, quarantine, recession, election, a strange election, this assault. Professor Hansen, I really appreciate your perspective of bringing together the events, reminding us again what happened in 2020 and the early part of 2021. But let's go back to the summer of 2020, up to the election and the turmoil in this country. Give us your perspective on that turmoil as we sort of complete the picture for our audience out there of reminding them as if they really need to be reminded. But I think your perspective is an important one of tying together these these loose ends, these disconnected dots at times into a more full picture of the disasters and the changes and the uncertainties and the impacts of 2020 and how it ultimately affected the election. So give us your perspective on the rioting uh, that occurred during the uh, 2020 time period. We had 120 days of Rioting, protests, demonstrate violent, nonviolent looting. We have never had a series of civil disobedience of that magnitude. Two billion dollars in damage, twenty-five people killed, fourteen thousand people at least arrested. 
Never had that before. And we've never had that level of insurrection, if I could use the same term, with complete immunity from the authorities. And I mean in the sense that if it's a police precinct with police in it, if it's a federal courthouse, nobody from civil authorities tried to protect that. In fact, I think that the Portland mayor termed it brick and mortar. We don't worry about brick and mortar. Property, remember, was the essence of the U.S. Constitution. And it has been for 2,500 years that consensual societies start out with the idea that if you cannot hold your property and pass it on to your children, you have no government. Great analysis, Professor, of the key issues that happened in 2020 and the beginning of 2021, talking about all the um, controversies, uh, connecting the dots. All those things are helpful for this audience to sort of bring it together and lay that foundation for what I really want to go into today, which is one of your major messages is how the responsibility of the citizen has been eroded. Uh, Give us a little bit of that perspective and how all these events we've been talking about kind of tie together and connect to have eroded our country in very fundamental ways that people maybe don't completely understand what the ultimate impact is of some of these events, because we sort of see them sometimes compartmentalized as individual events, activities, historical occurrences, but don't connect it in the way I think you have around how this is actually eroding our entire country in terms of our rights, our privileges, our citizenship, if you will, has dramatically changed. The definition of citizenship has changed. So all of that created a a climate of crisis. And out of that crisis, long stewing elements that were eroding citizenship came to their full. And what were those? We had a phenomenon from, I would call it, the pre-modern forces of history before civilization, the way things were before civilization, and post-modern, the way they are after. What were the pre-modern forces that always threatened a republic or a democracy. The first was the middle class has been hemorrhaging for about 40 years. And until 2017, they had lost real wages for 12 consecutive years. The number of people who will die with a net worth of less than $10,000 is about half the country. We were making gains in home ownership up to 62 or 63%. We're going backwards. And the percent of a budget that is necessary for a mortgage payment is at an all-time high. Dr. Hansen, the data and the statistics you quote are pretty devastating. Uh, what are the results of these kinds of changes to our world, our worldview? What, what's the result? especially on the younger population or on civilization in total here in our country. Um, what's, what's the real impact of these types of numbers? You can see some of the results of this is that we are raising a cadre of young people who collectively owe, one half of them, $1.7 trillion in student loans, and that will never be paid back. The universities themselves who did not want to deal with the hazard, so the moral hazard was fobbed off into the government, 
over that period of that debt aggregation charged a, above the rate of inflation for housing, room, and tuition and board at these universities. This same group of people, as I said, cannot buy a house in many states because of the increased cost for home ownership. Well, what about the effect on this new generation on the ability to have families, to um, become mature, contributing adults to society. What has all this had an effect on that aspect of getting older and having responsibilities and having jobs and having families and children, et cetera? The age in which people in America are getting married has gone from 23 to 25 to 28 to 29. The age in in which people are having children, it's gone just in 20 years from 2.1 down to about 1.8, the fertility rate, has gone all the way up to 31. And so we have a whole group of people who in some ways are in suspended animation, prolonged adolescence, and all the conservative traditional incentives that make somebody grow up. Don't think of yourself, think of your spouse. Don't think of your spouse, think of your family as well. Put off spending because you have the responsibilities to shelter your family in a house. Make a car payment so you can... All of those have been postponed and are now in some ways irrelevant. We're peasants. We're not a middle-class society. Professor, you mentioned that there were several items that you wanted to talk about around this citizenship issue. Um, Tell us the next point that's uh, important for us to know about. Second is, very quickly, we're residents now. The idea in the past was that people who lived under an emperor or a king or a government, they were either a serf or a subject, a slave, or a resident. They just happened to wander through. But the idea that you were a citizen and you had inalienable rights and you could adjudicate and censor and call in the government that was yourself was a very radical idea that was invented nowhere else but in classical Greece 2,500 years ago. And it's very hard to have a citizenry when you have two classes, masters and serfs, and not a middle class. The Greeks said that citizenship is based on mesoi, middle people. So it's getting very difficult, but we have about 20 million residents in the United States who are not citizens. From what we've seen in the last three months, we're on a schedule to have one million people come into the United States under illegal auspices with no legal ramifications at all. It's very, very difficult to assimilate, to integrate, to intermarry new citizens when you have so many people without diversity coming from one place, often without English, often without a high school diploma. That makes it almost as if people did not want that to happen, that they wanted an unassimilated block. Wow, great words of wisdom that I hope, again, our audience is following this um, concept, these ideas, connecting the dots. Let's take a quick break, and I wanted to come back and talk more about this whole citizenship versus resident issue that you bring up. So 
We'll be right back after this commercial. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised to right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m., for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. We're going to continue talking to Victor Davis Hanson, one of the great conservative minds in the country today. And we want to continue the discussion with him about what's been happening in the country over the last couple of years and how it affects some of the fundamental rights that we have as citizens. And in fact, Professor Hanson, I want you to describe your definition of citizen and why Maybe we haven't thought about it. Certainly I haven't. Maybe people in our audience have as to what the word citizenship or citizen really should mean and what it has become in this country. So give us a little bit of a flavor of your perspective as to why this concept is so important. It used to be that the citizen could say, these are my citizenship rights and residents that are here legally don't have all of them. Yes, residents are protected by the U.S. Constitution. But to leave the United States or to come back, in most cases, they have to have a passport. And only citizens can have passports. But I can tell you as a resident of California, if I leave my passport in my hotel and I forget about it or I lose it on the plane, I will not be admitted as a citizen in San Francisco airport. If I fly to Mexico City and walk across the border, I will be. Well, Professor, you're the historian, not me, but as I recall from history and even from the Bible, that it was important to be a Roman citizen. You had special rights and recognition, and you had certain protections as a Roman citizen. Um, But in this country, talk about citizenship and entitlements as an example. How does that differ in what's available to you as a citizen or as a resident or as an illegal? In my hometown, anybody can use federal entitlements. When anybody can use them, it means in zero-sum health care, a lot of people can't. So we have second and third 
generation Mexican-American citizens who are being denied access to health care, dialysis, essential medical services because the services are being swamped by people who are residents. And you can see that the progressive project wants to accentuate this rise in residency. And so it used to be there were these clear distinctions. Residents can't vote. Only citizens can vote. Well, that's not true in some school board elections in San Francisco. Now people who are not just residents, but illegal residents, can vote. We used to say that you could only be a citizen and work in a political campaign. That's not true now. A lot of people who are green card, green card holders and are here illegally are working in campaign. The only thing that I, military service doesn't matter whether you're a citizen or not. The only thing that I can think of that is left of citizenship is the right to hold office. And that's being questioned. Only citizens can run for office and only citizens should be able to vote in a national election. But I think those two are under assaults as we speak. Professor, your comments make it very clear, at least to me and hopefully to the audience, that we have given up our rights as citizens of the United States of America in ways that we never fully appreciated that things were evolving or transitioning to eliminate those privileges we had as citizens so that if we're residents, if we're even illegals, um, they basically are being treated in exactly the same way. Now, there's a related um, concept that you've talked about before that kind of feeds into this, I think, and that in, as we moved away from citizenship, um, the idea of tribalism, that we are in certain groups and we've segmented ourselves so that what used to be a common bond of citizenship being um, having certain rights, we've now gone to this idea of tribalism. So give us your perspective on this concept of tribalism. Another pre-modern idea that is returning is tribalism. We should remember one thing. Tribalism is the natural order of things past and innate to humans. People identify by the way they look superficially. Martin Luther King's idea that it's the content of our character and not the color of our skin was an attempt to say to history, we're not going down that route. We're going to judge people by their character, their talent, their morality, and we have one allegiance as Americans. That's our first allegiance. Our race is going to be incidental, not essential to who we are. And, that, and people who have said this were looking at places like Rome, where in the 5th century people just migrated in as residents, no borders. But they also, the Huns, the Visigoths, the Oscoths, the Vandals, they all bunched together. they Allegiance wasn't to Rome, it was to people who looked like them. The, the Germani, if you had blue eyes and blonde hair and white skin, you wanted nothing to do with Romans. That is returning, as we're seeing, from critical race theory to wokeness, and it says we are going to identify with people who look like ourselves. That's fatal to the idea of citizenship in a multiracial society. So what I hear you saying, Professor, is that actually tribalism is sort of a natural uh, human desire to be part of some group. But then in the United States, we tried to make that group so large that it was the country that we all were a part of, that that was um, our tribe, if you will, was being a citizen of the United States. And that has broken down over time. 
And now we're looking at subgroups as tribes, as associating and connecting to various um, subgroups or, again, or tribes that tend to divide us. And what I hear you saying is that our history uh, around the Roman Empire, for example, uh, started to break down when people were no longer considered uh, important as citizens of Rome, but they, they took in all these other groups from the outside, or they didn't have borders and let them come in. And that was a major part of the downfall of Rome, because those people that came in really didn't associate with Rome at all. They associated with their own uh, more um, uh, cultural tribe, if you will, of those different uh, groups that you just mentioned. So are there any other examples around the world of multiracial, multicultural um, governments, countries that have tried to deal with this concept of moving away from a national identity to more of a, a, a more limited tribal identity? We have two in the world besides us, India, a multiracial democracy, and Brazil, and I don't think they're working very well. It's very hard to do without coercion like the Soviet Union or the Ottomans tried. So most countries in the world, what you're saying is that they are more homogeneous than the United States. They have a common heritage that they cling to. It binds them together as a people in a country. And while we try to create that melting pot, that American experience, that American identity, that uh, we were special and uh, it was worthy to become a part of this uh, culture uh, that's now been under attack. You know, it reminds me of a movie I actually just saw the other night where um, some Americans were in France and they were being reminded that in America you can be a hyphenated person. You can be uh, uh, Italian-American, you can be African-American, you can be Irish-American. Uh, but in France, as an example, there are no hyphenates. You're either French or you're not French. And so I think what's happened in this country in order to break it down for people who are sort of anti-American that want to fundamentally change us, they have glommed on to this concept of dividing us into those hyphenated categories and making that the identity as opposed to the overarching American identity. And they've taken away Many of the things that bound us, our flag, our national anthem, our basis of focusing on religion and even family, of hard work, of free markets, all those things that we could sort of believed in for most of our existence as a country, a private property, all the things have been morphed around to be demonstrations of how we should be divided and how we're fighting over these things. And these symbols are not inconsistent, are, are inconsistent with those tribal identities that people have tried to raise up. So how do we move forward with changing some of this? And what are some of the forces against this kind of a change? Let's start there. What kind of forces are working against? Because clearly in a democracy, in our Republican form of democracy, if you will. Um, we elected uh, officials to run us. We, we have a self-governing process, but it doesn't seem to always be that way. It seems like there are bureaucrats out there that are really writing the laws and 
through regulations that are having a bigger impact maybe than our elected officials, and we can't get rid of those folks, or so it seems. So tell us about the people who are sort of working against uh, us as a country and supporting, if you will, more of the tribalism concepts. There is a postmodern, a sophisticated and articulated assault on citizenship by the academic world, by the legal world, and by the political world. One of them is a rise of people who are not elected or not accountable. Sort of juvenile, the, the Roman poets worry, who will police the police? We have about two million people affiliated with the federal government and some state agencies, and they have not been elected. And yet they make more laws than does the state and federal legislatures put together. In this cycle of news, if you think about it, if you look at our most esteemed federal bureaucracies, we can't vote on them. We don't, we don't vote yes or no on James Comey. But think what happened. These are the most powerful people in the world. These are conservative constituencies that conservative voters, they think these are our people. These are in the military. These are in the intelligence committee. These are in the investigatory committee. And what happened? James Comey went under oath, and on 245 occasions in front of the House Intelligence Committee, he said, I can't remember. Try that with the IRS and see what happens to you. I don't recall. We had a special prosecutor work for the DOJ, Robert Mueller. This entire case was based on was there or was there not Russian collusion whose genesis was the Christopher Steele GPS dossier. He was asked repeatedly, what do you think of G Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele? I have no idea. I've never heard of it before. This was the chief prosecutor. We had the acting FBI director, Andrew McCabe, on four occasions say something that was not true, which he admitted was not true, about leaking to the press from the FBI to warp a particular media narrative. Well, Professor, my head's kind of spinning with the truths that you have pointed out, the accuracy of things that may have been lost in the memory of time as we always are looking forward and looking at today's problems. But clearly what you've outlined shows the problems that we face from what some also call the deep state. Well, let's take another quick break and come back for our final session with Professor Dr. Victor Davis Hansen. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, this is Victor with the On Point with Victor show. Make sure you listen every Tuesday, 1 to 2, only right here on America's Web Radio, the On Point with Victor show. Remember, folks, I'm not angry. I'm just right. And you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2, the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Hello, my name 
name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. I hope you have been with us throughout this hour, because this last segment I want to sort of wrap up these wonderful, insightful, brilliant ideas of Dr. Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, one of my heroes of the conservative movement of reminding us of how we are losing our liberties in this country to the progressives, to the woke community. Um, but what we're focusing on today is how it has affected our idea of citizenship and what are the rights and privileges of citizenship and how has all this mess that's been going on over the last number of years, certainly under the Obama administration, and now continuing under the Biden administration that has affected us in our civil liberties and our rights and our privileges. But it's been going on through Republican and Democratic administrations with this growth of the bureaucracies and the unelected officials that have been controlling so much of our life. So I want to turn back to that again in this segment. And uh, Dr. Hansen, give us a couple more examples of how that deep state, the people who are running it, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrats uh, in power as the presidency or in, in Congress. How has the unelected officials, with a few more examples, been affecting our lives and our perception of ourselves as citizens? If you turn very quickly to the intelligence agency, before this terrible year of 2020, but one of the luminaries was James Clapper. He was an, an, an analyst on television every day trying to guide us through the Russian collusion. He, under oath to the U.S. Senate, had said that the National Security Agency does not spy on you without a warrant. He admitted later under, that he was under oath. He said, I offered the least untruthful narrative. Least untruthful. I've never heard that before. Least untruthful. So he lied. James Clapper did not tell the truth. John Brennan is the esteemed head, or was, of the CIA. On two occasions under oath, he lied. He went into a Senate hearing under oath, and he was asked point blank, does the CIA spy on Senate staff computer users? No. Why would we do that? And he was asked, has there ever been collateral damage with drone hit? No, we don't do that. We only hit target. Then he was brought back in, and he said, there's evidence... Contradict. I'm sorry, I lied under oath. When you have bureaucracies doing this, it's very scary because these are the people that you honor in the conservative traditional community. We're not talking about the IRS. We're talking about the most uh, important bureaucracies in our government. 
So we have let, we have created a federal octopus that's strangling citizenship. You know, Professor, you remind us of some of the um, uh, what I would really call some of the most evil people that we have put into these bureaucracies, this deep state. People who at the very top, the Comeys, the Clappers, the Brennans, who completely abused their power and got away with it, even though they were exposed, even though they lied to Congress, which many people would be charged with felonies for lying to Congress. But somehow, again, in this tribalism, they were on the right tribe, so they didn't have to get prosecuted for it. They were protected. Their speech was protected. Their lies were protected. But there's more than that. There's more than that deep state. There's something going on with our legal system that I want you to try to describe as well. How our legal system is morphing into a process where justice is not blind. So give us some of your perspective on the legal system and its attack on citizenry. We've also got evolutionaries on the postmodern side. These are sophisticated legal and academic minds who do not like the Constitution. They do not like liberty. They do not like freedom. They do not like equality. They like equity, not freedom of opportunity, freedom uh, as they defined it as opportunity of result. Everybody is going to be equal on the backside. Or what Tocqueville said in Democracy in America, one of his greatest fears, he said that most people human beings being what they are, if they had a chance to be all wealthier with more inequality, they would choose to be all poor and have everybody have the same. And so he said that's a very dangerous tendency of human nature, and republics must uh, react to it. So, Professor, what is your, your clarion call? Because what is it that these people want to do to create this equity rather than the equality of outcome, but to create this um, equal outcomes, if you will. Uh, The things that you clearly say that a republic, a constitutional republic, needs to fight against. What are they trying to do, and in what areas of our country are they making some headway or at least proposing things that in the past we would have just thought it was uh, unthinkable, unconscionable, but today it seems to be Um, more and more possible. So we have, what do the evolutionaries want to do to make us equal on the back end? They want to get rid of the 232-year electoral college without any argument why our founders created it. We could go in, we don't have time. They want to get rid of the idea for 60 years we've had 50 states, and they don't want to do it through a constitutional amendment but by fiat. They want to get rid of the tradition of a 180-year filibuster. They want to get the tradition of a 150-year nine-person Supreme Court. If you really want to dig into the legal analysis that they're publishing, they cannot stand the U.S. Senate. They want the U.S. Senate, one man, one vote, just like the House of Representatives. In other words, why, they say, does these nuts up in Wyoming have a senator for every 250,000 people, and people like us in California, it's 20 million. Well, that argument is uh, voiced and echoed through almost every major political philosopher going back to Rome and Greece. They haven't read that. They just said, that's not fair. And so that's their next argument. They want us to evolve beyond a republic into a any what anybody wants on any given day 
can be reified or actualized by 51% of a vote. And that's not what a republic was intended to do. A republic was supposed to allow protections of liberty, a consensual government, but very wary of both dictators on the right and what they called ochlocracies or mobocracies on the left. Well, you've hit the nail on the head there with your uh, mobocracies on the left, especially that we are seeing more and more of that, that a small group of people, a mob, if you will, can have such a big impact. And that's why even a handful of crazy congressmen that are socialist, uh, Marxist, are having such a, a big impact on the media narrative in this country. And they're called the mob for a reason, because that's exactly uh, the mob mentality. We also have the mob, if you will, the um, Internet mob uh, the uh, social mob that's going on where a, f- a handful of people can get on the Internet and just attack people over and over again, look into their history and have the, the cancel culture that goes on, whether it's tearing down statues or tearing down reputations. We're seeing that all over this country, this mob rule. So uh, a republic that is supposed to be protected by the institutions that our Constitution set up, assuming that we had good people elected, uh, seems to be breaking down over time here. And the Internet is changing our republic into some sort of a democracy that our founding fathers uh, ruled against. And that democracy is showing up as part of mob rule It makes it seem like they are a majority, and we ought to move in the direction of those mobs that we see on TV, uh, that we see in our growing in our politics, that we see on the internet attacking people and ideas and things and limiting discussion. That's not part of a republic. And so, your points are so well taken. Now, can you give us a couple other examples of the attacks on citizenry? and our rights as people uh, that we should be fully alert to uh, in this day and age. There is a final threat, a postmodern threat to citizenship, and it's what the ancients called cosmopolitan. Cosmopolitanism, we would say. Cosmos just just means world. In Greek, polites means citizenship. We're all going to be citizens of the world. People will say, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just said once, I don't understand why are we stick so assiduously to the U.S. Constitution. We could learn a lot from the Constitution of South Africa. Said that. I think you're exactly right about giving up our rights, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights to people outside the country. But that is a big movement. It really started in my mind back in the 1990s with this New World Order under George uh, W. Bush. And... Um, that is really giving up rights, and a lot of people would kind of bring in the idea of what's happening in other countries, what's happening at the UN, what's happening in the EU, what's happening in uh, China are things that we should be learning from and trying to accommodate within our government, within our constitutional structure, within our laws and our court rulings, uh, things that happen outside the United States rather than looking at our own constitution. So give some more examples of how that's currently working that the 
regular people in this country trying to feed their families and go to work and keep their um, uh, their, their their shoulder to the grindstone, their nose to the uh, ground, trying to figure out what's going on in their own life and their own problems. How how is this all working on that international scale? And so, there's a lot of people who look at the world at large, and by that I mean the International Criminal Court. Why shouldn't Americans be subject to a panel of Iranians, North Koreans, uh, who knows out, uh, Cubans who can adjudicate whether they're qu- committing war crimes in Afghanistan? Why don't we set our economic policies uh, in synchronization with what the World Bank, the International Monetary monetary fund says there is an enormous pressure from the left to say we have to harmonize what we're doing in the United States with what is the norm at the United Nations and the European Union. So they have more allegiance culturally, socially, politically to people in the West, to Asia, people in the East, to Europe, and they don't really care about what's in between. And so what we have to do is Uh, All of us, according to our station, I don't think it works anymore. We've tried it this year, keeping silent, nodding, saying I can't can't get canceled because of my family. I'm a year away from retirement. Each, according to our station, have to speak out and say, I am not in the 233rd year of this republic going to give up citizenship just because some bully says that uh, that my country was no good from the beginning or it's no good in 1950, or it was no good in 1968. It's a good country. It's better than the rest. And you all have to say, and by the way, we don't have to be perfect. You can be good without being perfect. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Uh, Hansen. It is a privilege to have um, heard you speak with great wisdom, with great thoughts, with great perceptions and insights as to what's caused many of the problems that we're facing this country and how we might begin to uh, counteract that as we move forward as conservatives who love our country and want to see better for everyone in it and citizenship being a major part of being a part of this country. We need to get back to that kind of a unity of feeling and belief in our own country. Please join us again next week. Uh, we'll be back here on America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman for Healthcare Insights, signing off till next week. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.